G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. John Mackay, welcome back to 2020. G'day, 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 mate. It's good to be here again. <laughs> John, always love catching up with you and having a chat about these things because it's not uh, every day you get to talk to people who've debated some of the biggest names in atheism and evolution around the world. And and uh, I know that you've debated the likes of Richard Dawkins. And you've got these debates that are coming up uh, fairly frequently in your own life. But as you reflect on debating some of these big names and Richard Dawkins, uh, what the end, the end result of those uh, is that uh, perhaps depending on which side you're supporting, uh, you'd you know, you support one and you say, well, oh, Dawkins was the winner of that one or Mackay was the winner of that one uh, because people come from different perspectives. It's very well to it's all very well to win an argument. But bringing the gospel message, the good news well, of really salvation, you're after winning the soul, uh, not just winning the argument, but winning the yes. person to Christ is, is your real aim. If that's not your aim, you're wasting God's time and wasting your own. Otherwise, you're just arguing. Otherwise, it's mm. a lot of hot air mm. and there might never be a resolution. But if you've got a motivation in the way that you're talking through the issues, that's very powerful. It really is. And it's really important to know what God's word says about people I mean, the book of Romans says we all know, we all see, we all understand, we've got no excuse. So it doesn't matter if they've got more letters after their name than a hot day. They still know the truth that God is and God has created. So they're lying to themselves. So it gives you that extra confidence that you can actually share the simplicity of God's word as you take apart their folly. I had one atheist professor recently tell me, Oh, there's no way the universe could have been created in just six days. The Bible is nonsense. And I said, tell me, sir. I said, when was the last time you made a universe? He said, well, well, I've never made a universe. I said, well, don't you realize you're absolutely incompetent to comment on how long it takes to make one if you've never made one yourself? (laughs) And besides that, how smart are you compared to the God who could do it in six days? See the problem? Now, in reality, what we were doing is showing him up for what he was. And the Bible says, call a fool a fool. Treat him as a fool. You need to do that because he's got to see himself. You've got to do it gently, of course, because God had to do the same to me to actually bring me to a point where you say, yeah, right, Lord, you're smarter than me. You've got it all figured out. I'm willing to humble myself. That's where you need to get these people. John, when you're in these debates, and I know you have these debates at various university campuses around the world, and uh, oftentimes these are set up, sometimes they're televised or they're recorded mm-hmm. for uh, television later on, uh, do you have a sense of nervousness going into the debate? What sort of preparation might you need to do before 
you know, you're up against a Dawkins or uh, or, or someone who's a well-known professor and uh, they're coming with all of the credibility of their long distinguished careers in academia mm-hmm. and study of science. And, uh, and there's John Mackay, the creation guy, uh, standing opposite. How do you prepare? And do you come into that with a bit of uh, fear a, and trepidation? A little, little bit of history. First of all, in the long 30 years or so since Ken Ham and I started this sort of stuff in Australia, yes, the initial ones you think, wow, he's a professor, he's an academic, he's super smart and I'm starting at the other end of my career. And you used to be quite afraid of them until you realised, hang on, he hasn't got God on his side, we have. And God plus one is a majority, no matter how many people are against you. So in reality, there's step number one, to realise how great God is. Number two, you do need to know what God's word says about your opponent. So when the Bible says, only the fool says in his heart there is no God, you'd better believe it. He may be highly intelligent, but he's not very wise. That's the difference. Never underestimate Professor Dawkins' IQ. He's a highly intelligent man. He just has no wisdom. That's the difference. Wisdom comes from God alone, not from a PhD, not from a university. It comes from God and from God alone through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what you need to do, number two. Number three, you need to know what you're aiming to achieve. Um, they're going to come up with all of these things that they claim is evidence. But since God tells the truth, nothing of what they're coming up with but yet will be evidence. It may be a very clever lie. Now, if I can share one thing I've learned over the years, the devil who is their master, even if they do not acknowledge that, they may not believe in God, but they certainly will be followers of Satan in their rebellion against God. The devil who is their master is a brilliant liar. Right? Never underestimate his ability, his skill to lie. But the best lies are mostly the truth. So they'll come out with all of these facts and then make a pseudo-fact as a conclusion. You know, oh, we've seen cabbages. And, and look, the Romans started with wild cabbages. And 2,000 years later, we have hundreds of cabbages, coloured ones, big ones, tall ones, fat ones, skinny ones, long ones, ones with fat stems, ones with lots of little babies on, you know, broccoli and cauliflower and all of that. And look, if that's true, surely... People can come from monkeys. Now, the first set of information is true. So always be listening for that. But watch the leap of blind faith. And that's where you aim for. These guys have got part of the truth, but they don't want to pursue it to the obvious end. Hey, if cabbages in 2,000 years have turned into cabbages, they ain't going to change. They are confirmation God's word is true. And you need to very quickly, remember when Jesus was meeting the woman at the well? Now, he could have gone into all sorts of theological distinctions about Samaritans versus Jews and open your Bible to Deuteronomy, I'll prove it to you. He didn't. He went straight to water. That's what she asked about. So stick to where they're at. Get as quickly as possible to the one who is the center and needs to be the center, who is Jesus Christ, and don't let them get away with it. So on the night we did Richard Dawkins' bit, he went away having heard the gospel. Mm. 1-800-316-316 If you'd like to be part of our conversation today You might have the curliest of questions You are welcome to call us Uh, Don't even be nervous about that Because uh, John Mackay, the creation guy You won't find a lovelier guy And he'll answer your questions clearly and respectfully So 1-800-316-316 Let's take a call from Mary in Victoria Hello Mary, welcome along to 2020 Hi. Hi, Mary. <laughs> I've been wanting to ask this for ages, so I've been waiting for someone to come on and talk about um, creation and evolution. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it says, All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. 
So I was wondering if that is so, then when they say that, you know, humans have come from apes and all that sort of evolution thing, is it true that people have different kinds of flesh and is that, is that a way of arguing that there is no connection between man and animals with it- regard to evolution? For those of our listeners who love watching CSI or these crime shows, uh, you will know very well that we can tell this bit of a body that's been found. Is it a dog? Is it a person? Is it the missing murder victim? Mm. Um, Because even now we can analyse the DNA, dog DNA is distinctly different from human DNA and it's so obvious. Boy uh, chromosomes are different from girl chromosomes and it's so obvious. So that the answer is what you've just stated is correct. The Bible said it first, don't you take the credit for it, but you've reached the right <laughs> no, conclusion. Yeah, and and in reality, if you go to our, our Q&A site, askjohnmackay.com, the most popular question of all of them, we get questions about aliens, about Noah's Ark, about Noah's Flood, but the most popular questions over all the years we've had this site up is what are the differences between ape and men? ape-like creatures and human beings. So I'd encourage you, if you want to see how many other differences come from the fact that our flesh is really different at even a basic level, go to askjohnmackay.com, search ape versus man or ape man, and you will find the most popular question, the one dealing with what are the differences between ape and men. And the reason why Paul could write this so confidently to Corinthians, A, you've got to remember he was writing to Greek people. B, Darwin did not invent evolution. The Greeks already had their own version of the slime turning into people. Uh, They had evolution already. C, he was a Jewish scholar who came to meet Jesus Christ who is the creator of all things. Paul says it in Colossians. He says it in Ephesians. And it's a reminder that this Jesus is the word of God who spoke back in Genesis when he made man distinct. He made man unique. Man's flesh is different from the animal's flesh. Right? So you're quite right. It's a good point to argue. But your friends might say, oh, that's just spiritual. Well, it is spiritual as well because there's no First Baptist monkey church in town. But it's also physical. You can tell the difference between the skeleton of a monkey. I mean, when I dig up fossils, I was just on a dinosaur dig recently. We found three dinosaurs in two days. And people say, how do you know they're dinosaurs? Because they are distinctly different from kangaroos, right? They have that much distinction, even if all all you have left is their bones. So Hmm. it's very true. What you say is true. uh, And just be ready to turn it back in your friends and say, okay, let's go and check at the zoo. Let's go and ask the zookeeper. Uh, and you'll find it really turns out to be true. So good point, and thank you for asking. Thank you. Mary from Victoria, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. You might have a question you would like to ask. What sort of questions have been coming up in the conversations that you have had with regard to creation and evolution? You might also like to share just how, uh, during those sorts of discussions, you've introduced into that conversation, uh, not just that God is creator, and that evolution might be a contender. But how did you bring into that conversation salvation through Jesus Christ? 1-800-316-316. What's your curliest question? John Mackay, the creation guy, is our guest this hour. 
John, uh, let me ask you about new types of science because are there, you know, is there an evolution in the debate? Uh, because you know, we're talking about you know evolution and creation. Is there an evolution in the uh, the debate that goes on between evolutionists and creationists? Does, yeah, they, does it grow more sophisticated every week? The the go- the goalposts sometimes change so that uh, out there at the moment they don't like using the word random because they say, well, natural selection isn't random. There are specific forces in nature that are guiding it, so it's not random. And then you just push them back and say, okay, well, where did gravity come from? Was it created? Oh, no, 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 right? Where did the weather come from and all these sort of things? And in the end, they just have pushed the, push naturalistic randomness back a couple of hundred million years. It's still there. So, yes, the goal, they like to shift the goalposts. But what's interesting is the newer sciences that have even been labelled, giving given names, like the new one on the block is biomimetics. Now, bio as in life, uh, miming as in copying things, right? So that we are bringing Professor Andy um, McIntosh to Australia in January through the 11th through to the 15th. And uh, he's going to be our key speaker. And he's a biomimetician, whatever the right word is there. (laughs) He's just taken out patents on some of the newest injection sprays you will use in cars and things like that. So when you buy your next year's model, you can probably give credit to this guy. But he's happy to give credit to God for creating the original animal that he copied this from so that he can invent new injection sprays for industry. And the little animal he's talking about is that explosive bombardier beetle, you know, the one that we make fun of sometimes, goes boom, right? And uh, so he and his team got the idea, we could use that, right? We could use that for micro control of injection systems. And so Andy will be coming out here uh, in the week of January from the 12th through the 14th. We'll be speaking over at Kedron, over at the Sydney North Baptist Church every night, 7 o'clock, and if you want to hear one of the new sciences and how it doesn't help evolution, that points directly not just to intelligent design, but to the intelligent God who designed it, who therefore intelligently loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to fix up the rest of the problem, e.g. sin, uh, then come and hear Andy during January. And I think that event is called the Good News Creation Summer Events. And you mentioned the City North Baptist Church in Brisbane. And it's John, all on our website too if they want more details. That's creationresearch.net. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to be part of our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Uh, we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments here on Vision. Uh, let's continue. Just let's take another call uh, right now. Let's hear from Maria in WA. Hello, Maria. Welcome along to Twenty Twenty. Hi, this is Maria. Yes, Maria. What do you have a question for John? Well, I've got uh, a question and just a remark. Um, I find it very difficult to start having any conversation about evolution if there is no basic faith in God. Although we come from the perspective that we have of faith in God, and so you have to start thinking either there is an intelligent design or not. But if I'm talking to people who have no basic faith, um, um, I feel lost. You know, I mean, there's nothing I can base it on because there's no belief in the Bible or in God. Now, still, these people somehow seem to search and start a conversation. Um, Do you knock them off? Just tell them, like, look... If you don't believe, we can't talk any further, or how can you actually get them interested? Okay. Um, When Jesus told us to go into the world and become fishers of men, um, I've often pondered over that. I grew up enjoying the, the hobby of fishing. And when I became a Christian, I'd already learned a few lessons. I learned a very hard one when I was a kid because 
I saw all these big silver fish swimming up. They had grey tops and silver bottoms. They were beautifully big fish and I rushed and I got my fishing line. I put a juicy worm on it and threw it in and all the old men laughed. Mm-hmm. And when they finally got round to you know, having their fun with me, they said, son, those fish don't eat worms. Oh, yes. Oh, drat. So yes. when you're going to fish for people, you need to put the right bait on the hook. Now, in the case of the person who says they don't have faith in God, don't assume they don't have faith. All people have faith for the simple reason when you have a look at even eating at McDonald's. You don't test everything. You eat by faith. When you sit on a chair, you don't test the chair. You sit down by faith. So faith is a characteristic of human beings for the simple reason we aren't God and we don't know everything. So most of our life is existent by faith. So the first job you have to do is put a bait, put a bit of worm on the on the hook that will bring out that aspect where they will have to admit, ah, no, I don't know everything. I must be believing something by faith. And in this case here, instead of you trying to defend yourself when they say, what about evolution? Turn it around and say, what about it? What do you know about it? And then you have to, first of all, establish for them what their problem is. They have faith. It's just in the wrong place, right? And so that's what you need to be able to get to do. So I'd encourage you to very quickly do what James says. You know, if any man lacks wisdom, ask. I've really appreciated that advice. And it says, and for God gives generously. So cast up those urgent prayers. Help, Lord, I need wisdom and I need it right now. Uh, and God will answer your prayer and you'll find it's amazing where it will go from there because you need to get that bait just right to get that person to see themselves in a way they've never seen themselves before. Then you can proceed to part two. Now, let's talk about God the Creator. What do you want to know? Right, take it from there. Yes, thank you. That, yep, that's very great. Um, secondly, I just have an, um, we are members of the Creation magazine, mm-hmm. and I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old, and all three of them somehow pick up stuff from there, and I just encourage the reader or listeners to uh, to look upon uh, getting a Creation magazine in the house because it helps the kids as they go through school and come home with the most ridiculous statements that they have to learn. Oh, that's good. And if they have more questions like you have, just go to askjohnmackay.com and you'll find lots of useful stuff for the kids and the adults there. So again, that's askjohnmackay.com. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Good to have you along with us. It is 2020 and we are talking about creation and evolution and just how you introduce the message of the gospel into those conversations. You might have a curly question you'd like to put to our special guest this hour, John Mackay, the creation guy. John's the international director of creation research, a field researcher around the globe for more than three decades. Uh, He's debated the world's best-known atheists, the likes of Richard Dawkins. And you can even see those debates when you go on YouTube. He trains people on how to teach creation in education circles. He's hosted television documentaries and produced Bible and science teaching programs. Well, he's available to answer your question today. What sort of questions have you been having in conversations that you've perhaps even struggled to answer? Well, you might have one of those questions you'd like to put to John today. 1-800-316-316. John, there's a new documentary coming out 
out from David Attenborough. And uh, it's all about the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, I guess there's, uh, there's, you know, I guess for anyone who's scientifically minded, there's always excitement about that. And because the uh, the film and the cinematography will be outstanding. Oh, there's no doubt about that. It, it's just spectacular. I mean, some of the guys who've done DVDs for us have also filmed for David Attenborough. So it's good to talk to them and compare. Okay, now when you're filming our stuff, what do you think about when you're compared to when you're filming David Attenborough's stuff? And what's interesting, of course, is what you know about David Attenborough is he, he really has got a budget that makes all the rest of us, <laughs> we look like paupers <laughs> by comparison. His products are brilliant. There's no doubt about it, but they are designed to convince you of atheism, that all this happened all by itself and that he, of course, is the expert. And the interesting thing is, unlike Richard Dawkins or the others, David Attenborough has told us personally he will not debate. Right, We have interacted with him, I have correspondence with him, we've handed him DVDs personally, but he will not debate. And as he shared with one of my professor friends who asked him specifically, why don't you debate people like John Mackay? He said, because I'd lose. Now, in reality, he's a preacher, but he's a preacher of brilliantly documented, brilliantly colourful atheism. Now, this is an interesting point you're making that we ought to draw out, is that where you've got people on the side of evolution, of atheism, and producing even wonderful documentaries that show tremendous things in nature, there is a motivation that's behind that. And uh, and they're not particularly uh, uh, elaborating and articulating that the way we are today, saying that there is a motivation behind sharing the creation side mm-hmm. of the debate too. Mm-hmm. But what you're actually saying is 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 uh, is releasing the uh, the understanding that you know what when you see these things and there is a focus on evolution. There is a mind behind that that wants to convince you of atheism, oh, wants to no convince you of evolution. I mean, whether you're talking Dawkins or Attenborough or some of the American atheists, they are out to set up anti-Bible camps, anti-God camps, anti-Christian camps. They do this. That's what their funding goes into. A Richard Dawkins and Attenborough set up a team deliberately designed to get rid of Christianity and creation out of schools. Right, tax deductible corporations, all these sort of things they're into these days. So, yeah, never let it be fooled. They have a brilliant product. They have nicely glamoured, you know, glistening and all that sort of stuff. But it has got an agenda to get rid of God out of your mind and out of my mind and help us to live naturally, which means atheistically, which means, hey, if you want to talk to young people in the world today, they have 20 years of brainwashing from kindergarten onwards about how it all happened by itself. And you will have to deal with this if you want to preach the everlasting gospel, which is mentioned in the last book of the Bible. It says, fear God, the creator. Interesting how we might all be affected by that, John, because as I understand it, the statistics show that even though there's a perception that all of this atheism and evolution you know, causes people to, uh, to lose faith in God, the statistics actually show that atheism hasn't grown all that much, that people still do have faith in God. The statistics don't always tell the truth. It's certainly true the statistics don't all tell the truth, but the statistics needed to ask one more question. Which God do you have faith in? Right, And so what you find in Australia, if you ask people 50 years ago, did they believe in God, the answer would have been yes. And if you pursued it, it would have been the God of the Bible. Right. If you pursue the question these days, it is no longer the God of the Bible. It's just God generically. Because the God of the Bible has a name, it's Jehovah in the Old Testament, or Yahweh, and Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That if you ask people today, which God do you believe in? Oh, do you believe in God? Yes. Which God? 
and it just is vague generalness. So it has had that effect. In fact, to give you one illustration, I ran a group of science teachers out on a field trip recently, and the leader who was so overjoyed in Christ uh, gave me his testimony. He'd become an atheist when he was a student. The reason was evolution, millions of years. He went to church, and uh, the leaders of his church said, well, look, just, just don't worry about it. Just say God took millions of years to create. And he thought, I'm a pretty smart guy. If the word day doesn't mean D-A-Y, then the word God doesn't mean G-O-D, right? And so he abandoned Christianity and he said, only when I heard that you guys had evidence that the Bible was true could I become a Christian. So Christianity is not just a God generic that we believe in. It's a God specific and it's related to the fact that his characteristic is as creator as well as redeemer. 1-800-316-316 if you have a question or a comment about what we're talking about today. Let's hear from Sharon in WA. Hello, Sharon. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Um, Firstly, I'd just like to say that I love the work that Vision are doing. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, We believe in the six-day creation in a young earth. And my husband and I are doing heaps of study about creation, you know, to be equipped to educate our children and be equipped enough to respond to others as well. Um, I was reading up about a newly discovered planet, um, said that scientists witnessed the birth of a planet, LKCA15b, something like that, and um, that they'd captured images of a planet forming. One of the the professors, Dr. Michael Island from Sydney's Macquarie University, was part of the team. Um, And that brings forth, obviously, the evolutionist argument about how planets in the solar system were formed. So I just wanted to know how to best respond to such a question if that was presented. Okay, the best way to respond to questions like that is yeah. to check what's actually been observed. Remember how the scripture says in the in the eyes of at least two witnesses? Yeah. So the reason for that is very important that you not only know who saw it, but you know what they saw. Yeah. Now, here's what you normally see. Oh, we saw a star forming. No, in reality, they found a new blob of light they hadn't seen yesterday. Yeah. Now, the two things are quite different. So was the star not there yesterday and it was there today, or did they just miss it yesterday, right? In other words, so you need to check whether they actually saw it form or whether they saw something for the first time, right? So that's that's the reality. Secondly, you need to sort of quibble with them over their definitions. A planet is the old word for moving star, hence planets are never mentioned in Genesis because it says God made the stars, Right, So planets are the moving stars, the fixed stars are the ones that sort of twinkle up there, but they, they say it stay in a fixed path every night, whereas the planets sort of move around the sun and things like that. So you need to check what's actually being observed. That's, that's the key characteristic. And what I always find is when they say we saw a star forming or we saw a planet forming, what they meant is we saw something for the first time on May the 15th this year and we gave it a name. So that's where I'd go for, and it's a good practice to, with, with your young ones to say, here's how you tell the difference between truth and error, between observation versus theory. When I uh, first got into this, I was doing science at one of the big grammar schools here, and I, I did up a course on how do you know what you know in the first place, and that's what led to Ken Ham and myself talking to the Minister of Education and him throwing up in the doors in Queensland then so that teachers were free to teach creation. Because most of what is taught for evolution, if you pursue it, is not observation, it's not fact, it's the latest opinion. Whether it's the dates of the rocks, whether it's whether the fossil grew feathers and turned into a bird, or whether it's stars and planets that are are observed forming when really they weren't observed forming at all. Yeah. That help? 
Yes, that helps heaps. Thank you very much. Sharon from WA, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Let's hear from John in Coburg in Victoria. Hello, John. Welcome along. Good afternoon. You're doing a great job. Thank you, John. Also, I just was going to say, um, I just think there's a lot of pressure. I was thinking about the young people. There's a lot of pressure for them today in our society, in our central kind of drinking, drug, you know, porn kind of society. Uh, wealth, you know, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I think our society is on its way out. I think they're going to have to go through the dark ages until they, you know, under Islam or under um, the dark ages, I think their brains will work a lot better. I think at the moment they just don't want to know. They just want to have fun and and they got the money and they got the freedom. They need, didn't have to work hard to get the money. They didn't work hard for the freedom. So they just four little kids that are just Well, remember, remember that scripture that says, without a vision the people perish? Now, it's certainly true that the the vision that most people have today is limited to let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. The young people have been treated for drugs at some of these super big rock concerts lately. They're only there for the night. They really have no thought about tomorrow or no thought about standing in front of a God and giving account for themselves. There's certainly a truth in that. And without a new vision that's a living vision, who is Jesus Christ, those people will undoubtedly perish in a long, slow, drawn-out, tragic way as a nation goes downhill. But there's another side of it as well. Uh, to the people of Israel, and remember the Apostle Paul said all of these things were written for our learning. So you see Israel come up, you see it go down, and there are brilliant lessons there for any society. And in, in, in the case of Israel, whenever the king served God, the people were blessed. Whenever the king abandoned God, the people went downhill. Okay, point of the story is being whenever the church leadership honors God and honors his word, the next generation of young people will undoubtedly be blessed out of their little socks. There's even a statement in Isaiah where it says, um, you know, woe to the shepherds who lead the sheep astray. Now, when you get leadership, like as I said, with that young science man who abandoned Christianity, became an atheist, and only refound Christ when he refound a solid foundation that Christianity was based on facts, not fictions, um, you have a group of leaders right throughout the Australian church and the American church who say, look, it, it's just open to you. It's, it's a question of what you believe. You know, you don't have to believe Genesis or you don't have to believe Noah's flood. Well, they are the shepherds who are leading the sheep astray. But the next portion of Isaiah, if I can summarize it in a very 21st century way, woe to the shepherds who lead the sheep astray and woe to the sheep that want it that way. There are so many elders who are, and parents who are sitting in congregations who say, oh, this bit doesn't matter, or that bit doesn't matter. Let them go out and sow their wild oats, etc. But God's word matters from Genesis through to Revelation. And if we want to see the young people blessed out of their socks in this country, then you and I and the church leaderships need to be faithful in both teaching God's word and imploring the God who is the word for those young people. So out there and do it, my friend. It's Neil with you. It's the Tuesday edition 2020. John Mackay, the creation guy, is our guest. You can call us and be part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. You might have the curliest of questions. What question is the burning question you've always wanted an answer to? Uh, Give us a call, 1-800-316-316. John Mackay is our guest. John, we've been talking about connecting this message of the gospel to the questions that people have about creation versus evolution. And you said something which I thought was quite profound a little earlier. You've got to answer the question and get on to the gospel because 
Uh, here, if we were talking about what's the most important thing, I guess the gospel's the most important thing, uh, even more important than having all the answers. But if you want to win the argument, you've got to bring Jesus into the equation. You certainly do. If you want to win an argument, really, you have to win a friend and win a person to Christ. Otherwise, you've lost, right? Because hell is full of people who know the world was created. It's it doesn't do them any good because they didn't get to the point of acknowledging who the Creator and Christ in Christ actually is. So, yep, expediency. Remember when Jesus said, if you go to this town or that town and they don't listen to you, shake the dust of you, move somewhere else, right? So you need wisdom to know, Lord, am I wasting your time in pursuing this? We've been here five hours now. We've got nowhere. And the answer is probably time to move on or improve your technique. One of those two. But you need to get to Jesus Christ as quickly as you can. You've been observing this now for decades when people have come from a position where they've been uh, thoroughgoing evolutionists, uh, atheists to the core. And when that element of doubt arises uh, and when uh, an acknowledgement that, yes, there could be a creator and there might be something to that creation side of the argument, uh, that Jesus Christ in the centre of that is the trigger for that person actually putting aside those things that they thought were true in the past and then the motivation then comes to actually explore this whole new realm of God as creator. I'll give you a funny example of that. A Frenchman came up to me after a meeting and he gave me a tough question out of his specialty and I answered it gently and we demolished his edifice and he said, I think I am a 2% creationist. And I said, will you have any more questions? So he threw another curly one, and I answered that. And he said, I think I am a 5% creationist. And then he threw another one, and he said, I think I am a 10% creationist. I think I'd better leave. Because <laughs> he could see where it was going himself, right? In other words, you, you dealt with the issues, you put the bait on the hook, and you were there to get a soul, and he knew it, Right. And that's where you need to get, whether it's Dawkins or Attenborough, whatever, they need to know that you are there to tell them the good news that the Creator has become the Saviour and they need him or else they'll face him as judge. When you actually, uh, if you were able to make a judgment on where people are at, you'd have to say that everyone, perhaps everyone listening to our conversation now is somewhere on that percentage uh, of you know whether they're two percent, ten percent, fifty percent, seventy percent. Let's let's consider you a hundred percent right now. Uh, there are people who are at certain stages mm. where they haven't said, "Well, I'm a hundred percent creationist." Is it okay to keep doubts? Is it okay to keep questioning, uh, even though you say, "Well, I'm a creationist"? At what point do you say, "I'm a creationist"? Is it fifty percent plus or what? <laughs> Well, I'm always grateful to God that he gave me a good wait-until-then basket because whether it's you or whether it's me, you know very well you've got questions you don't know the answers to and neither do I. But I do know who knows the answer. Remember that old chorus, I don't know the answer, but I know who does. Mm. Um, So I've been able to learn to just commit some of those problem areas to him and I don't know the point... Uh, Well, let's say in my becoming a Christian, I read through the Bible from Genesis onwards. By the time I got to Isaiah, where it says, here I am, Lord, send me, there was an interaction between me and God. I knew that for sure, right? In, In John's gospel, by the time it says, if you love me and obey my commandments, I will make myself known to you, click. 
you can do something that I can be aware of. Now, that's the point where I regard myself as having become a Christian. Now, whether I was a 20% Christian in Isaiah and a 40% by Malachi, I don't know the percentages, <laughs> but there was that definite point where I said, yes, I know. It didn't mean I knew all the answers, but it did mean that I knew the Creator and I knew Him as Saviour now, and that's where I needed to get. Now, likewise, one of the young men who now is a full-time pastor sat through a meeting. By the end of the meeting, he knew that his confidence in evolution had to go. It was shot to pieces. Now, he wasn't yet a Christian. It was a month or two till he became a Christian, but he got rid of his evolutionary. You can say, was he a 50% Christian? Well, no, he wasn't actually a Christian until he humbled himself before Christ, but he was well on the way. He was being hooked. He was being drawn in by the holy fisherman who is Jesus Christ, and uh, and the Lord drew him in. So that's, that's, a, that's a good picture. In fact, one reason we've set up this January conference from the 11th through to the the 15th and the 12th through to the 14th in teaching with Professor Andy McIntosh is so you can bring your friends who are searching to hear real scientists who believe real evidence proves creation and they really have published papers and they really do real stuff and they can be challenged on anything. So whether it's the age of the earth or carbon-14 or what, bring your friends, bring your enemies, look up creationresearch.net, click on the conference link and see who's coming. A listener who called in didn't want to go to air, John from Kingston in Queensland. How do you respond to someone who says scientists proved with carbon dating that the Earth is millions of years old? Well, John at Kingston, you're not all that far away from Kedron where we're having our uh, good news summer event. So pop over the Gateway Bridge and join (laughs) us on the 12th through to the 14th. But to answer your question, um, what you'll find is that it's the assumptions that you need to deal with, the hidden things that they aren't telling you. So that um, uh, when you look at your Bible, it says everything God made was very good. When you visit a carbon-14 laboratory, it says don't forget to wear your breathing apparatus because radioactive carbon is not very good when you breathe it in. So at a simple level, how much radioactive gas was Adam breathing in? None. It's not very good. So carbon-14 probably came into existence after everything collapsed at Noah's day and it's been building up ever since and it's one reason we don't live as long as Noah. So when you look at the, the dating methods, they all assume whatever it's like now, it's always been. And the Bible says, no way. It started out very good and that means no carbon-14. So the carbon-14 clocks won't work at all. They are just assumed to work and that's why you get the funny side of it. They keep changing many of the dates. So I have one fossil, which I really love using. Back in the 1900s, it was 180 million years old. By the time you get to 1989, when I first came across it in the British Museum, it was 200 million years old. When I photographed it the next time in 1999, it was 235 million years old. And I didn't realise it was so long since I'd been at the British Museum. So (laughs) these are all made up things and you can find out either the hard way or do it the simple way. God was there. He knows what he's talking about. And the evolutionist keeps changing his mind about these dates. This connection of the gospel into the equation and uh, taking you back to, you know, percentage creation. Uh, and then you said, well, uh, you know, if you're you actually don't use that percentage when you talk about being a Christian, because uh, once you become a Christian, well, you're 100 percent Christian. Yeah. 
but those doubts can still exist and people are working through those and you mentioned people who are trying to uh, to synchronize uh, all sorts of things that they're hearing from evolutionists and they believe in God too so they're synchronizing those things together mm. that really is fraught with all sorts of problems if you are the sort of person who wants to believe both and have mm. a foot in both camps well it really distracted me for a while because as a university student who was investigating the bible my professor would say, as the professor of Old Testament as well as geology, I just put it all together. And the more I tried to do that, the more unreadable the Bible became. So the word day obviously didn't mean day. The word create obviously meant evolve. And Noah's flood covering all the highest hills obviously didn't mean all the highest whole hills. So therefore you end up with a Bible which is unreadable. You can pretend it's poetry or anything, but by the time you get to the New Testament where Jesus said, just as it was in Noah's day, that's what it'll be like when I come again. You have to say, well, I don't know what that means either. So all of a sudden, Christ as judge, Christ as Lord and Savior, Christ dying with thorns on his head, which is related to Adam and Eve, which is related to the garden, which is related to the curse. All of a sudden, that's meaningless. So ultimately, syncretism of any sort, that's the fancy word for it, just destroys the whole of God's word and leaves you with nothing, not even a God who can be trusted because he can tell you reliably through his word what he wants. So I reject it and make sure you do out there as well. Is the biggest issue or one of the biggest stumbling blocks this whole idea that the earth is young? Uh, because uh, it seems to be that, uh, that that's one of the biggest sticking points for people in their belief that, that somehow or other, well, the Bible teaches that the earth is young, that we're talking about real-time history right back to Genesis. But it seems to be all the science says it's old, and, yeah. uh, and that's a sticking point. It's certainly one of the hardest points you have to pass, Neil. Um, but in reality, most people don't know how old anything is, right, in terms of rocks or fossils. They just believe what they've been told, and they don't know where those beliefs come from. So normally what I like to do is, first of all, demolish their confidence and say, well, how old do you think this rock is? Oh, how old was it five years ago? And I pick an example that I know has changed age by millions of years, right? The house where I live is on a rock which has changed age three times since I was a student. So the age itself is not a fact. It's the latest theory, and that's a shock to most people. So there's no evidence that contradicts a literal reading of Genesis, you know, as six days. And I'll be blunt with you. The most ardent atheist has a problem with the Bible because he knows it teaches the world was made in just six days. He doesn't have to think, oh, is this poetry? He knows it teaches the world was made in just six days. That's his sticking point because he doesn't want a God who's so great he can make a universe in six days because that same God can rip the rug out from under him in less than six seconds. And so he needs a saviour. And that's where you need to get to. Arlene from WA back with us. Hello, Arlene. Welcome Hi. along. Hi there, Brother Neil. Good to hear from you, Arlene. Yes, I'm Arlene Murray from South Headland here. South I'm Headland. praising God for vision. I'm always with you and praising the Lord for especially this time for with our brother from creation. Yeah. Yes. Praise God for his marvelous creation and then new creation in Jesus. We are knowing the truth, then God sets people free, brother. Mm-hmm. And they cannot believe a lie then. And are deceived and study to show yourself approved unto God, Second Timothy two fifteen, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why I'm praising the Lord and uh, one with you all, Christian revival. My husband's gone to view Jesus. He's from Nagaland. You oh, know, you're from Nagaland in India, there. are you? Oh, very good. <laughs> so I listen to God your... for our brother here. Yeah, and, no, uh, thank you. Yeah, and the other day also I couldn't be on the line. I was so much bubbling for 
that time when we were talking about marriage and how I, I praise God that he started the first marriage, ordained it, a family, so nobody can be deceived for all these other things that are coming up. Arlene, I can tell you believe what the Bible says and uh, you're interested and inquisitive about what those Christian positions are in the 21st century. And you're applying those into those conversations that you're a part of. And uh, it's just great to hear from you today. My brother, we are always together remembering all your family and ministry of vision. Because there's no vision, how can people be saved, no? Uh, well, so we always envision <laughs> yes. new, new every day, brother. Arlene, wonderful to hear from you. Yes, Thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Rob in Mildura. We won't, Rob in Mildura wants to know, he didn't want to go to air, uh, who wants to know, is the crocodile related to the dinosaur? Is the crocodile related to the dinosaur? Okay, if we use our superficial classification system, then they say, yes, dinosaurs and crocodiles have lots of things in common, so they're both reptiles. The man who invented the word dinosaur, he he basically was a bone expert, Sir Richard Owen, back in the 1840s, and he said this is like a dinosaur, like a crocodile, but unknown to most people, the technical name for crocodiles is archosaurs. So it was a saurus. It moved with that S-shaped body um, movement. So it was a saurus, but he said it's got a lot of differences from a crocodile. Look at its hips. So he needed to invent a new word. So superficially, they are like each other, but there's enough differences to put it in a separate label pile. So at a biblical level, no, even though it's common to say the crocodile is the last remaining dinosaur, in reality, crocodiles, all the fossil crocodiles, and I've got quite a few of them, tell me they've always been crocodiles. So you want to answer more questions about dinosaurs, go to askjohnmackay.com or have a look at our creationresearch.net and come along. Well, you're a little far away down there, but you're most welcome to come up in January to our Creation Good News event. uh, And that's on the website too. John, running short of time now in the lead up to the news. uh, Let's talk about this event you've got coming up called the Good News Creation Summer Event. It's on in Brisbane. Uh, let's uh, give some details about that. It's in January. It's in January, the uh, 12th through to the 14th. We've got three intensive days there, great teaching starting 10 o'clock in the morning. To Professor Andy McIntosh and myself on each night at 7 o'clock. The full details are on creationresearch.net, and it's free. Now, that's a really good price, uh, free. And uh, so it's over at City North Baptist Church, which is just over the gateway, off the old gateway uh, motorway side path and up heading up towards uh, Prince Charles Hospital. So that's 10 o'clock each morning, 7 o'clock each night and a full program, a great time of teaching, fabulous teaching on God's Word and God's world. And you know what we're going to do, Neil? We're going to be talking about the eternal gospel every day as well, joining the dots so people can evangelize the lost who think they're safe behind the wall of evolution when really it's only giving them a dim view of God as judge who they will have to stand for. And John, just quickly, your website and uh, the sorts of things people can find on there. Okay, we've got two main ones to mention now. Uh, you've still got questions because we had uh, quite a few people today. AskJohnMackay.com, that's got all the questions you could ever want on, dinosaurs, crocodiles, you name it. That's AskJohnMackay.com. Or the main one, creationresearch.net. Uh, that's the one with the information about the Good News Summer event in January 12th through to 14th. So have a look at those and ring up the office and let them know you want to come and it's free. 
Well, John Mackay, the creation guy, John, the international director of creation research and been a researcher for multiple decades. John, it's always good getting your insights into these issues, and I want to just express my appreciation for you joining us today here on 2020. Thanks so much for being with us. Good on you, mate. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.